I think mentorship is a powerful tool in life in general, right? Not even you know, for people's professional career, but just navigating through their life. I think when people have the right mentors in their life, they gain the ability to grow in ways that they might not have been able to grow if they were trying to, to approach a situation or approach a career challenge on their own. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. Joe Tornaby is the Executive Director of HR for the Estee Lauder Companies. Joe is a staunch believer in mentorships, which in his mind is basically just a strong relationship. He says, if you don't believe you have a mentor, you probably do. You just don't think of your close ties as mentors. But Joe has a lot of opinions about mentorship, which have helped him navigate to get to the top of his profession. So what do you say we learn more and we dive right in? Joe Tornaby, we are live and we're making this happen, my friend. I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I don't know if you know this, but you were one of the first people that I asked and one of the first people that I'd thought about. Actually, I think you and I might have even discussed this because I was talking to you about the show. So you should be taking some credit in this show. How about that? Well, Adam, thank you so much. And listen, I'm honored to be a guest on the show. You've created a really nice product. And as I've been listening to a lot of the other podcasts, I'm just honored to be part of a contribution here with you. All right. Well, a big contribution you are. And for those who don't know who you are, do you mind just kind of giving a, a quick synopsis about uh, who you are and what you're doing these days? Sure. My name is Joe Tornaby. I'm the executive director of human resources with the Estee Lauder companies. I support the global research and development function in the company. I have over 15 years of consumer products industry experience, all in HR with this company and my previous company. I've worked in assignments domestically around the world. I've had some international assignments as well. And I've always been an HR business partner. It's been something that motivates me. I really love working with business leaders to create strategy and, and also working with our employees as well. It's been a passion of mine for my entire career. Have you always been so passionate about it? That was something that I noticed when you and I first met was you kind of lit up when you talked about your craft. Yeah, it you know, for me, it's been a passion from early on, even to my, if I look back to my university years as I was exploring what profession I wanted to pursue. And I had an amazing professor who, inspired me to study organizational psychology. And the more I got into how you can play a pivotal role in helping organizations grow and really doing that through empowering their people, 
was something that I was just uh, hooked on in my early years in university study. And as I began to mold my career, the more I got into it, I felt like that's where my talent was. And that's what I had to offer to I wanted to um, see my career grow from there. So I've just been extremely fortunate that the opportunities came for me along the way. It's so ironic because it sounds to me like you've had someone kind of in your corner, i.e. some form of mentor throughout the course of your life. Is that fair to say that this person served in that capacity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to even take a step back. I mean, my whole life I've been blessed with having the opportunities at all stages, having mentors, whether from my early years as a kid, having strong role models from my family to a very influential wrestling coach in my high school years to influential professors in university up until my professional career. I've just, I've been blessed with having great people really give me guidance along the way. And that's really helped to really shape my career and to bring me to where I am right now. Well, listen, if having mentors, if other people have mentors and they can turn out like you have already, I think that pleads a pretty strong case in terms of the importance and the value of having people in your corner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what what I'd love to do, Joe, is give other people that are listening a better opportunity to get to know you on a more of a personal level. So what I'd like to do is kind of fire off something that I call rapid fire questions. Let me know when you're ready. Uh, this is I'm so excited about this part. As I listen to the other podcasts, this is one of the one of my favorite parts of the show for sure. Let's go. All right, cool, man. Good, good, good stuff. All right, so ready. If we're to get into your car right now, what would be on the radio or or satellite radio, whatever it is that you're listening to? Great question. I'm big into music. I'm really into classic rock, and then beyond classic rock, some of the heavier stuff. So at any given time, uh, if you turn on my car. Coming through the speakers, you'll hear Pink Floyd, Metallica. Some of the newer stuff I'm listening to would be bands like Greta Van Fleet, which is a, a newer band, but very inspired by Zeppelin. Another band by the name of Allbeat as well. So there's music constantly on the car, whether I have my kids with me or I'm driving alone. We got something. We definitely have something rocking in through the speakers. Oh, that's great. So I've been trying to get my kids into classic rock and alternative forms of music, and it's just not sticking. Are, are you having any luck? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've had I've been very fortunate through the years. I've had my last two positions. I've been able to be in a capacity where I can drive my kids to school based on the on the day. So we're listening to music along the way, and and they're you know I find that like, they're asking me to put on songs, whether it's from the Beatles. My middle child uh, he plays baseball right now, and. On the way to his games, he uh, asked me to play Metallica for him uh, to get himself pumped up. You wouldn't expect that from many eight-year-olds, but that's what he wants to do to get himself uh, prepared for the game. Gosh, great job, Dad. That's impressive. I'm going to have to, when we get off this podcast, I'm going to have to pick your brain on how you did this because I am getting, I'm so sick of pop music. Absolutely. Oh, man. Hey, what was the last thing that made you laugh? In the same environment, so a lot of great things happen on the car, whether it's on the way to the Little League field or theater performance. So recently, my kids are starting to get into dad jokes, repeating the jokes that I've told them through the years. So I'm a kid at heart myself, so it just makes me laugh down to the core with some of the jokes that they come across with me. All right. So the theme is, I guess, the some of the takeaways is I think our, our next podcast needs to be in your car. Yeah. We could, be, we could do like a HR for HR carpool karaoke. Yeah, there it is. Man. All right, good stuff. Tell me something that most people just don't know about you. Another great question. 
I'll be a little bit more vulnerable here to share that I used to have a tremendous fear of public speaking earlier on in my career. I've had to put so much of a significant amount of time to overcome it. And now I'm at the point where I'm energized by it. And so, and usually after I speak in front of larger groups of people, I'll have colleagues pull me aside and say, hey, we really appreciate it, the way you deliver that message. And I'll, I'll be honest with them and say, like, I'm not, I wasn't comfortable. I was at a point earlier in my career where I wasn't comfortable being kind of that voice in front of a larger group. So what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to share my experiences with other people to help them overcome their anxiety and to let them know that, you know, it, for me, it was not natural and something that I've had to craft for a while to the point where I'm comfortable and now energized by doing it. That's awesome. That's a great share too, by the way, and something that a lot of people, I mean, in order to, to get into certain leadership positions, you need to be able to get up and do these kinds of things. So any, whether it was a TED talk you saw, or are there any books that you read, or did it really, there is no tips, trips, tricks, or strategies. It's just practice. Yeah, there, I mean, there are great resources out there, but for me, it was just practice and get out there and acknowledge that you're going to have sometimes better performances than others, and but you can learn from each and every one of them. And the more you get them under your belt, the more comfortable you become in that craft. So that's my advice to other people. It doesn't have to be practicing in front of large audiences. It could be practicing in front of the mirror at home to kind of smaller groups, again, within your, your department. And, and you work your way up to the larger experiences until you are comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's just no, but there's no shortcut. No, no, yeah. no, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard work and repetition. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's important. It's important to, to be very honest about that also. So there's no get rich quick scheme. You know, there's, you got to put in the work. Just like what I, you always hear me talk about relationships, you got to play the long game. Let me ask you this. You're such a thoughtful person and you do nice things for people all the time. What was one of the nicest things that someone has ever done for you? Yeah, that's an easy one, Adam. My wife has literally moved all over the U.S. and the world to allow me to pursue my career ambitions while putting her career on hold. I would not be anywhere in my career if I didn't have her support to do that. So, I mean, she personally put her ambitions aside to see me pursue and grow. And for that, I mean, I, I can't think of something else in my life that has topped that gesture, an act of kindness that she shared with me. It wasn't just a one moment act of kindness. This was a multi-year, <laughs> multi-year on year act of kindness that, that she did to help support me. Well, kudos to her. And hopefully this gets you some kudos as well for sharing on such a global audience. So that's nice. Hey, so tell me what makes you forget to eat lunch. I grew up in an Italian-American family. I don't think I've ever forgotten how to eat lunch. <laughs> good answer. That's a good answer. I've, uh, I've asked that question to people before. and No offense to any of the other answers I've ever gotten, but you just gave me my favorite one. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, man. So as the head of, of HR for a division like this, it's, it's got to be, obviously, you're passionate about it. Obviously, you enjoy it. And it takes a big skill set to be good at your craft. Fair enough? Yeah. So what would you say, is there one thing in particular that you attribute to this success, whether it's your drive, is it your work ethic? Is it that passion? Is it strategic thinking? Is it leader, just being a leader in general? Could you boil it down or at least two or three things? Yeah, I mean, I would boil it down to 
a, a couple of things. I think number one is having a, a deep sense of your own personal values and making sure that you're working with an organization or a team that there's a strong alignment for what you believe is important and the type of work you do. I think without that values-centric mindset, it becomes a struggle if you're working with a company or, or a team that is opposite to what you hold important. So I think that's one piece of it. I think the other piece really is understanding the culture around you as well, right? And it's really the culture of the team, what motivates people on top of that. And then the other piece that really comes down to it is, is just having that hard work ethic, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, being able to roll up your sleeves and get the job done and demonstrating to the team around you that you're willing to do anything that you would ask the team to do as well. I know it might sound a little bit cliche to say that, but the reality is I think when you demonstrate to your team that you're in it with them, you build their respect and their loyalty with you. And ultimately that's where you start to see the sweet spot of engagement and and motivation from those around you. Yeah, I agree with that. I've got a good friend. He owns a chain of restaurants. Um, Actually not a chain because there are different types of restaurants. And he said that that's actually one of the biggest things that he attributes to some of his success because he will at any time, whether it's wash the windows or getting behind the grill, cook, or even mix a drink anytime he'll jump, you know, he'll jump behind the counter and do exactly that. And he says that that's helped him to earn a lot of respect amongst the staff because this isn't just some person sitting at the top saying, do this, do that. They can really, they relate and because they know that he's going to do there and he's in the trenches with them. So I do like that answer a lot. So It's really interesting. You and I have had conversations in the past about the importance of mentorship and you didn't even realize how important it, you know, when you just, that first question I asked you, I even came up without you even tying the mentorship to that answer. I'd love to talk in depth a little bit about that topic, if that's good with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you have an overarching, I guess, opinion on mentorship? Yeah, definitely, Adam. I, you know, I think mentorship is a powerful tool in life in general, right? Not even you know, for people's professional career, but just navigating through their life. I think when people have the right mentors in their life, they gain the ability to grow in ways that they might not have been able to grow if they were trying to, to approach a situation or approach a career challenge on their own. I think some of the best mentors that are out there are people that enable the mentee to envision the future and kind of help them find their pathway to achieve it. But they're not going to bring them to the end destination of that pathway. They're going to kind of show them the roadmap and it's up to the mentee to really navigate to their final destination, taking the advice and the counsel that their mentors have given them along the way. Can you expand on that point? Because I think that is a big part of the whole mentorship experience that most people they're just missing. I'll take it to a an analogy that I heard years ago. The analogy is with anybody who's played an organized sport or perhaps it may be performed in like an orchestra or a band. When you have a coach or a conductor in front, like I remember one of my influential coaches, he was a wrestling coach that was very influential um, for me earlier on in my life. And you know, the great thing that he did was, you know, in the middle of a, a very intense match you have three periods and you have a break between each period he he pulls you aside and says okay like joe here's what you're doing and think about you know shooting this way or kind of reversing another way he would try to get you to envision it but ultimately he pulls you out gives you the advice and then they put you back onto the mat or they put you back onto the field and it's 
with that advice, you have to take that advice and you have to activate it into your own actions to get the results that you're looking for and that your coach or your mentor is trying to help you achieve. But ultimately, it falls on you as the person taking the advice to determine how you're going to perform to get to that goal that you have in front of you. Mm, great answer, number one. Number two, what I liked is that you gave an analogy. And it was so interesting. I was uh, listening. I forgot who it was, speak, but they were talking about what makes somebody actually a really good leader. And they talked about the ability to paint pictures and do analogies. So you just did a good one there. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. I, I think sometimes some of the best leaders to build on that, Adam, are the ones that are effective storytellers that are able to boil down complicated ideas to easy to interpret or easy to envision ideas. And at the core of my myself, I'm not a sophisticated person. <laughs> so uh, I always try to kind of boil, usually boil down ideas to things that are that were common occurrences earlier on in my life that now I can apply to a professional setting. It's funny. So I, I think it's General MacArthur, who is the, the general that essentially helped to win World War II. And they said that one of the things that made him such a good leader was just that. Again, getting back to that, he developed people and he was able to use good analogies. So not too shabby to be referred to in the same sentence as General MacArthur. What about yourself? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> uh, do you have a mentor? Yeah, I've had many mentors through the years. And you know, some people I rely on more than others. It depends on the situation. It's again, it comes down to this idea of being blessed with having the right people in my life at the right time. So it's right now, I have a core group that I, I definitely reach out to when I, I, I need counsel personally and professionally based on the situation. I love that answer, which leads me to then my next question. I kind of feel that I know the answer to this, but for those that don't, are you familiar with having a personal board of directors? And then if so, what do you think about them? So I'm extremely familiar with that that idea of having a personal board of directors. And while it's important for people to have mentors, I think it's even more powerful when you have a larger group of people that are your, your trusted advisors to seek counsel. Because number one, if you have just a single mentor, perhaps the situation that you're looking for advice, that mentor might not have experienced themselves in, in their um, background on how to navigate through that situation. When you have a larger group, you gain a, a broad diversity of experience and, and opinion. And the more input you get, the better you are to position yourself for success on how to navigate through the circumstances that are in front of you in that moment of life. Great answer. Completely, very well stated too. And let me ask you this. I'm going to piggyback this question one more time. Do you ever rotate in and out different mentors? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it comes, it comes to the context, right? There are... I have mentors that are colleagues that are family members of mine that are previous managers that I worked for. I mean, I have a variety and it will really come down to kind of the context of where, what in my life am I looking for that advice or counsel and, you know, and who do I think probably will have the ability to, to kind of give me insight and in how to navigate through effectively whatever the situation may be. So I do kind of cycle in and out of who I ask for help along the way, but it's a core group of people. I think if inevitably, if, if you ask me kind of how many kind of people are on my board, I'd say at any good given time, five to 10 people that have nice. been from all stages of my life. That's a deep bench right there. I like that. Now, well, let me ask you this. Do you serve uh, as a mentor to anybody or anybody's? 
Yeah, I have and I do. And again, I think first and foremost, I, I look at my team that work with me. I, I try to help in their development and their growth by giving them advice outside uh, of my job. There are people that reach out to me, family, friends. When people know that you work in HR, you'll usually have a lot of people kind of asking you for career advice in your personal life. So I definitely have that happen on a, a pretty uh, common occurrence. Okay. What do you think about other companies? Do you think that a lot of companies out there are recognizing the importance of mentorship? And and if so, what do they do well and where do you think they could do better? I absolutely think other companies recognize the importance of mentorship. I think the shortfall for many companies is that they try to formalize mentorships a bit too much. I, I think, from my, and not even I think, from my own personal experience, some of the best mentoring relationships that I've been part of on either side, being the mentor or the mentee, are the ones that have formed organically. There are, those are just natural relationships that are built. And I think the companies that are successful are the ones that allow for the mentoring really to be tailored to the unique needs of the mentee. Those are the ones that tend to see more success in those relationships. It's so funny that you say that. So I had a conversation. So today is a Monday. I had a conversation last Thursday, maybe even Friday. And it was just around this exact same topic where this gentleman was was part of a leadership program and he was put in touch with a mentor that the organization gave him. And they really just didn't have chemistry. What's funny, actually, he thought it was the mentor's issue, but as we talked it through, he owned it. And he's like, you know what, now that we've kind of had this conversation, I actually have to take the credit for dropping the ball. However, prior to, you know, us even having that conversation, he seeked out somebody else to be his mentor to kind of replace the other person who he thought had dropped the ball. And it's actually worked. It's actually worked out better. They do have more chemistry. That is very important. But to your point, so it wasn't as formal of a mentor because it wasn't through this formal program that he is a part of, but this person has served him and served him better. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that. What are you, why do you think a lot of people don't have mentors? Because they don't. See, I'm going to offer a different opinion there. I actually think most people have mentors. They just don't put a label on the relationship. Like, mm. like, I think if you get a group of people together and ask them, do they have a go-to person in their life for advice? Most people will say that they do. Mentorship comes in a lot of different forms. So I think some of us might even be mentoring right now. We don't even realize it. If you stop and ask people, do other individuals come to you for advice or opinion? And they answer yes, then you know, in that regards, they're acting as a mentor, but it hasn't been kind of formalized or labeled as that mentorship relationship. Interesting. I, I, you know what? I agree. I, I can't argue. So let me, all right. So then let me ask you this. Do you think, do you prefer the, the informal mentor or do you think that there's something to having some kind of structure to the relationship and, and having it a bit more formal? I'm a school of thought of the informal is better from my experiences. I mean, some people do look for the formality and structure behind it. But, you know, sometimes I've seen in the past when you create too much structure and say, you know, mentors, you should meet with your with your mentee for you know, once a month for an hour. I mean, it can be at a point where just no advice is needed at that point in time. <laughs> yeah. It kind of gets back to that concept of the, the personal board of directors of it, who do you call upon when you need the guidance or who's going to be that coach that pulls you out of the game, kind of tells you what pattern to run and then kind of tells you to jump back in the game, see if you can catch the ball. 
right? So for me, it's more situational. But you know, again, it really it's it's dependent on the unique needs of the person. So your needs and my needs could be different. But I, I think when you again, you, if you over formalize things, sometimes you lose a bit of that magic. Yeah, you know what? You make great points. So let me ask you this then: How often or do you form, or, or maybe even not just yourself, or but what would you suggest to be some form of regular cadence, if at all, with someone that you, you know, that you would deem a formal or informal ne- uh, mentor? In my life, I try to stay connected to those people on a pretty regular basis, even if it's not seeking advice or guidance. It's just to call and check in and just see how people are doing. I mean, I mean, a core competency where I, you know, I see a lot of HR people um, that are successful is, is building effective and strong relationships. So you have to keep those relationships healthy, right? And I connect with my mentors, even when there's nothing kind of burning on my side where I need their help, but just to let them know that I'm around, I see how they're doing, see how their families are. When you continue to kind of keep those relationships open that way, when you do need the help, it's again, it's more organic versus just kind of like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a year. And you only call me when you're kind of up against a, a kind of a critical issue in your life or your career, right? Yeah, you don't want to be known as the asshole. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> what was the best advice that somebody ever gave you? I've had so much advice through the years. I'll use one from uh, from a mentor and uh, if she's listening, uh, she'll know who she is. Whenever you started a new job or something new in your life, like think about the legacy you want to leave and start building it, right? Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's the idea of you know, create that vision in your mind, create that goal and start working against it. And you know that's if you don't have that there, sometimes you could be kind of marching to a destination that might not exist, right? It really is about like, it kind of gets at the core of goal setting theory and can you achieve what you set out, what you said you were going to set out to achieve. I, I, I love that. Live for the epitaph. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. There was a, uh, Yale did a study. Those, got to remember this. I, I, I'm sure I'm going to botch it, but you'll you'll understand the genesis of this. But in 1953, they had the, the class of 1953. Those, there were 3% of the class that wrote out very specific goals. And those 3% that did have very defined goals out, earned, and I'm not saying that, you know, how much money you make is a measurement, but it is one out earned those that didn't by nine times. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear, hear that. I mean, it's a lot, definitely a large multiplier for sure. But um, I think it, again, it comes down to goal setting theory, right? I remember earlier on, I kind of get back, continue to kind of revert, revert back to some influential coaches that I had in my um, earlier years. And some of the best ones were the coaches in the beginning of the season that had you sit down with a pen and a paper and write down what did you expect to achieve by the end of the season. Now, you put a bunch of young individuals who want to get on the field or want to get on, on the court, and before you give them the ball to practice and you say, like, hey, here's pen and paper and start writing down your goals, it's a very powerful exercise. So I'm not surprised to hear from that, that study at Yale that kind of at a more sophisticated level, what they found at the end of the study. Yeah, there's some really interesting studies on that. So who has, outside of your family, who has had the biggest impact on your life? I would say like the biggest impact on my career, every manager along the way has had an impact on, on my career. The good ones and the ones that weren't so good. As I was looking to build my leadership profile, I, I learned critical lessons from each of them. 
In some instances, the good managers, I strive to emulate their behavior. And in other instances, the managers that were not as effective or not as strong, I personally committed to not making the same leadership mistakes that I witnessed uh, they made along the way. So you learn from the good and the bad all the time. It's how do you take those lessons and how do you adapt and grow from there for your own self? Mm, Love that. All right. You know, I'm a quote guy. I love quotes. I love statistics, all that kind of stuff. There's a really interesting one that Harvard, their business review did that I read. It said that 70% of people with active mentor relationships received a promotion. What do you think about that? This comment, for me, what it means is, you know, the people that are, are involved in active mentoring relationships, most likely those folks have a growth mindset. They want to improve themselves. They want to develop themselves. And being coachable, being open to hearing advice from others helps them grow as individuals and ultimately gain that promotion that that 70% of the people are saying that they got as a result of having a mentor in their life. So true. There was something else I read. I got to find it. I'm trying to multitask here and I'm not doing a a good job of it, but it was something to the effect of that people with, um, with mentors are actually five times more likely to receive promotions than those without yeah, again, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think you get back to that idea of having a growth mindset. I think people that are looking for advice, they're looking to drive personal development through self-improvement. And as they increase their competency and capability, the promotions come in line with that. Yeah, so true. So, so true. Well, Joe, I got to thank you. I uh, appreciate you making this happen. You got a lot on your plate, but today we made it, we made this come to fruition. So thank you for kind of being the spark behind me getting this podcast started. And I appreciate you participating. Oh, Adam, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun and I can't wait to talk to you again. You got it, my friend. Make it a great day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network Wise.